Good afternoon, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Cannon Talk. Morning, my co-host, as usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? Arsenal visited the Etihad and Vienna, but let's go to the Etihad first. Arsenal taking on the Man City side, who, in my opinion, were there for the taking, unlike any other time before. Yeah, I mean, that crunch game at the Etihad, was, and I actually went in as, like, you know, as a fan um, with strong belief, thinking, you know, especially with the build-up, you saw... Uh, pundits finally saying, you know, this could be the weekend where, you know, we can finally change the record since it, it was something like, um, what was it, 20? When was it the last time? 20? 2015, I think, was the last time when we beat Man City 2-0. Or the last time we won away from home against the top six side. Where Santi pulled the story. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, but, I mean, like from the get-go, when the formation came out, um, very bizarre for me because when I saw the lineup. Like, well, the way it was not set up on the screen, that, uh, that they had like William as a centre forward or a, or a slash, you know, false nine. And I mean, within three minutes, um, you could see Man City were, at, you know, already sussed us, not only sussed us out, but already knew how they're going to play us since this was another sort of tactic. And I mean, I, I think it almost like it flipped the script completely because, you know, we went from playing a counter-attack brand of football, you know, like we were successful um, last year in that in the FA Cup run, to trying that same ploy now. And I mean, this time, we not, not only went back from counter-attacking football, we were almost like just pummeled for most of the first half because there was nothing coming, you know, creatively attacking-wise from Arsenal. And it's like, we just sat deeper and deeper. And you could see, uh, you know, the way Pip now probably did his homework. They gave us no breathing space. You know, almost like to get ahead above water. Yeah, it, the interesting thing for me was also, firstly, Rob Holding supposedly starting ahead of David Luiz, then picking up an injury, then David Luiz coming in. I'm not too sure what the thinking was behind that because David Luiz, for me, you know, as much as the critics he gets, has been one of the solid defenders with Gabriel this season. And then, like you mentioned as well, like, you know, why play William center forward if you have a eligible um, guy in Lacazette to play up front, or you can push a Bamiyang in as a center forward as your center point, and you have Saka allowing you to drive forward more without that um, the pressure of having to track back like he does as a left wing back. I mean, you don't get to see that true attacking talent of him. I mean, he was. As we go on, we'll discuss the only one of the lot to actually give Man City do something to think about. And, you know, Pepe as well coming in on the right-hand side, thinking, you know, you would be causing more damage. But like you said, the first, basically the first few 20 minutes of the first half, Arsenal looked very blunt and we were always just giving the ball away, you know, on off and at the edge of a box. And, um, you know, for me, it was almost like uh, Pepe was trying to be too cute Tactically to outwit, um, you know, more to, to outwit uh, Pep. And I was thinking to take a sort of risk like this uh, with this, uh, say, the William experiment and that. Why not try it when you play, say, a Rapid Vienna or, you know, something like that where you, you actually can't, I'm not saying you want to lose the game, but you can't take that risk because it's still early days in that Europa League uh, fixture. And now we're already getting through, like, you know, a good handful of games in the Premier League. So, I mean, why take that sort of risk now? Because you could see when, when uh, as I said, when Arsenal was sussed out, 
they really had no answer to like, okay, how are we going to combat this? And, and you could see that they kind of bamboozled even Arteta then. Because uh, you're looking at this Arsenal side and you're like checking like, you know, it's almost like we're just defending when there's, there's no cutting edge going forward. Like you mentioned, no counter-attack. And we saw it's like Klopp and Guardiola. You can see they, they're very top managers because, you know, Klopp felt trapped to Arteta's style in, you know, the 2-1 victory at the Emirates after the lockdown. And also the, you know, 1-1 draw and then Pep as well. Um... And when we beat them in the FA Cup, it's like they wisened up and Arsenal just didn't have any answers because we were so toothless up front that we weren't giving them their defenders or defensive midfielders something to think about. And Rodri, for me, was there for the taking. He had an early yellow card. And, I mean, if we had to just keep on piling pressure on him, I think he would have given away a silly second yellow. But it just seemed, like you mentioned, Arsenal were just compact at the back, no outlets at all. And I mean, you, like I said, you have William playing as a centre-forward, which for me now, he hasn't impressed since that Fulham game. Yeah, you can see at, at his age also now, you know, his legs have kind of gone. Because if you remember, I told you still, I think, either, uh, you know, post-game, where I said, you look, somebody like William, the way he changed that game against Sheffield United when he played in the central attacking midfield and all, that is where you want him. He doesn't need to do too much running and just do the odd, you know, press now and then. But you using him more for, you know, his his brain because, you know, he can pick out that, that sort of killer pass and that. But now you're taking him in a sort of position where he's got to do off the ball running. He's got to do, you know, pressing against, like, say, uh, two, two two giants, like, say, in defense. He was he was never going to come out, like, you know, in, in good light there. And, you know, it was, uh, it was almost like the inevitable was also going to, uh, or was building up to the inevitable way. We then uh, the deadlock then gets broken because the ball gets played out wide uh, from I think Aguero to Phil Foden, and I mean Phil Foden. I mean with his uh, you know with his age, he's got that guile to him. And I mean you told me back in the day already about him, like in the early days of even playing with a FIFA and that. But I mean he he already knew Bellerin is going to go full Mustafi, <laughs> and I mean by the time he, he checks back. There's no way of recovering for for Beller and then because he's already wrong-footed. He's trying to like uh, readjust himself, but I mean, in the, the the way things happen so quickly there, he manages to fire a shot of Leno. Then of course, Paris the ball into still a dangerous area, and it leaves Ryan Sterling just with the easy smash home one 0 City. Yo, uh, um, I, I don't know what your take on, on Leno like with this his padding, but he always seems to put the ball in the. In the def- the attacker's stride, I mean, okay, he made a good save. You know, you can't flame it all the time. But, I mean, for some reason, it's almost like his hands aren't strong enough. But he always pushes it, like, almost straight into a path of a, another attacking player or in the centre of the box. Yeah, but, I mean, I just think, I mean, I, I fully, fully get what you're saying. But I just think sometimes when you're having, I wouldn't say a purple patch, more like a blue patch, where you just, you know, almost like your, your parents will normally, where it was going, so the previous season, away for a corner or just out of the reach of an uh, oncoming striker and stuff like that, you're getting away with it. And, and then you see something like this happen and, it, you know, the ball goes in. Uh, another quick example I just want to give. It's almost like um, Thibaut Courtois last season for, for Madrid. At the latter part of the, the season, he was pulling off save after save as they were, like, you know, grinding out the results. And then you watch, if any of you uh, fellow Gunners watched the, the Shakhtar Donetsk game the other day, 
It's like everything he was doing was getting to that, uh, you know, the, the opponent. And the goals actually at times look comical because I think the second goal, the end of the, the ball gets smashed against him. He makes a sonic save. But by the time he uh, knocks the ball out, the guy's almost like half falling onto the ball and the ball goes past him. So <laughs> it's, it's like the sort of run of luck that, that Leno is going through, I think. Yeah, he, he really seems to be struggling since he's come back from that injury. I don't know if it's just me that's in that, but like, you know, Martinez, I'm not saying he's a better keeper than him, but Martinez kind of, you know, looked a bit more stable at the back in the polls when he was there. Now he, like, sold him. And it's almost like Leno, since he's come back, hasn't been exactly that same keeper. Yes, he's made stunning saves, and he's still probably a world-class keeper. That's, like you said, maybe going through a blue patch, but it's just, I don't know, he needs to get that right because, I mean, we can't afford him to, to to start being a bit shaky, so that's a bit of a worry. And like you said, City go up one 0 and I think they smelled blood for like ten minutes after their goal because Arsenal still, you know, went into a shell and they came back for more and more Man City. Is that the first time we really tested Edison? If you think of it, was the thirty ninth minute where Aubameyang just uh, one of his shots palmed away. But I mean, other than that, it's like that was the one little. I wouldn't even say it's a bright spark. It was like barely a flash. But I mean, we then go back into our shell again and we go into halftime at 1-0 down. But it was like, we were trying to, to, to it was like too early trying to um, do the damage limitation that you're always talking about, where, uh, you know, we didn't want to now say lose the game, but it's not like you guys aren't going to score more than the one. But then I'm thinking, if you go with that sort of mindset, what were Leicester doing when they... Yes. It's, it's almost like the exact same squad apart. I mean, Saka should have. I don't know. Edison made a good save also just before half time when Saka, you know, was one on one with him when he, with his weaker foot, kind of curled the ball one on one and it's kind of hit off Edison's shoulder. So, you know, that is down to that kind of brilliant goalkeeping. But, you know, the youngsters should have maybe. There's an important opportunity at the pivotal time, uh, similar to Lacazette at. at, at, at um, 2-1 at, at Anfield, you know, kicks it to Allison. Allison now, critical time, kicks the ball uh, against um, like Edison. And then you mentioned the um, the Bamiang shot as well. I mean, that was two opportunities that could have, you know, changed the game. But like you said, we go into the half, you know, 1-0 down. And you kind of think, Oteta, you know, are you going to make changes or what are you going to do? Yeah, I know. Arsenal, in, you know, trying to be more adventurous. But by now, you know, Man City already got their plan down to a T. And, and I mean, they were also seeming to, oh, actually Arsenal now, were almost like clutching at straws to think, uh, you know, to get back, themselves back in the game. But I mean, you could see there was no real game plan. And, and at times it looked like, like uh, the majority of the players were lost. And I mean, for me, especially the biggest worry was our key forward was just being isolated further and further and further. And, he, you know, you were, I think it's something you mentioned some. I'm not sure even even a while back, even of, of last season, where you said it's not like Aubameyang just becomes a ghost and you don't know he's even playing. Yeah, it it becomes very frustrating. You know, he's since he signed the contract, he for me hasn't really stepped up to the form of last season. But you still can't be critical on him because maybe he's exhausted. He also did play, you know, a large portion of our games last season, but. It's like, 
you look at him, like compare maybe him to Jamie Vardy. I'm not saying you know Jamie Vardy is a better player, but you look at Aubameyang. You know he's a world class player, but if you can keep him out of the game, you can keep him out of the game. Vardy will still run, make himself a nuisance, and you know get involved in the game somehow. But Aubameyang was just non-existent in this game. And I mean, I think what worried me, and I think that was where Arteta also came under like flag from the the, the fans. I'm not talking about those that had the total stupid meltdowns about, you know, getting rid of Arteta and stuff like that. But I just think where Arteta showed, in a way, almost like his rawness as uh, still, you know, or come to grips with being a coach. Why not then just stick, you know, a bombing up front? Because exactly when when if you think about when the chip, I wouldn't say the chips were down against that Sheffield United, we were kind of lacking creativity, and, and then he started tweaking the stuff, and all of a sudden. The minute William became a, uh, I wouldn't say number 10, but like a cam, and, and you saw Aubameyang spear the attack, then all of a sudden you started seeing uh, the adjustments the team made or, or adapted to, and the opponent did not really know how to then, you know, adjust to that sort of tweak in, in, in the formation change. And we just seemed to just go with the flow, and the, the game was just, you could actually just see the life going out of the team, and that in the white flag slowly coming up and just giving, like totally giving up. And, and I think that is what, you know, even that days after, like, uh, look, we of course made the, the changes, trying to change things up. William came up with, like, by the time his legs were gone. But I mean, Lacazette comes out. And I mean, do you think to it prior, uh, Lacazette was on a decent form, you yeah. know, scoring and that. And why does he just lose his place? Yes, oh, I, I, this is my question to you as well. No, like last week against like against Sheffield United, the guys in top form. I mean, he drops him out the squad and he drops him out again. Now it's almost like you know, like is it? You know, when he came on the field, he didn't have that swagger and that you know yeah. confidence all of a sudden. So uh, that that played to our downfall. And like you said, the game slow. There wasn't any kind of pressure on Man City or fear of flipping into Luther's lead. We have to hold on for our lives. And the commentator kept mentioning that, you know, to beat the side like Man City, you need to take some risks somewhere in the game. And like you perfectly were spot on by saying we were too overcautious. I mean, at one stage at the game, you need to think to yourself, okay, if we lose 2-0, even 3-0 eventually, it's fine. I mean, the scoreline might look bad, but it's not like we were 3-0 down in the first 30 minutes of the game. We went 2-0, 3-0 down with 5-10 minutes in. We should have gone the kitchen sink to try to get that point. But it's like we were like, fine, you know what? We'll lose 1-0 and we'll take it from there. And I mean, uh, you can see now, you know, the, the last seven minutes, Arteta, of course, is now panicking by now and he then brings uh, Nketiah on and he gives uh, Thomas a part of his debut taking off Shaka. Who, I mean... You can actually see at times who's the more mobile between Xhaka and El Nini right now if you do like yes. a comparison. Because Xhaka was like literally clinging onto people and <laughs> see that the pace was again starting to just run away from him. But I mean, for me, it was also a case of too little too late. The game in Aqua just speeded out into, you know, what I would call a, a toothless defeat. Very disappointed. And I mean, also underwhelming when you think how this whole game was hyped up from, like, say, Arsenal perspective. So, I mean, it took for me, I mean, a few days to get out of this kind of miserable rut because, I mean, for me, it was a real kick in the gut. No, I agree. I just like, 
how we, like it was, a, it was a loss and you were thinking how did we lose that game like how like it wasn't like City were overwhelmingly better than us uh-uh. so yeah like you say we, we, we took that defeat and we moved on to Austria against Rapid Vienna and looking at the team you know what were your thoughts on the team because I certainly thought against Rapid Vienna we wouldn't have gone as strong as we kind of went but I think it's also possibly because our defensive options are running out like you mentioned it would but I, I mean I just think it was more also for morale because I, I was also kind of shocked when I saw the sort of squad it was going in when also when Arteta in the press conference just before uh, the match like a day before the match when he was asked about Ronison if he was going to get his chance to play and then he he said, like, oh, yeah, when, you know, when he couldn't give really a straight answer, then I knew Leno was going to probably get the nod because he'll probably want to go as strong as he could into the squad, in, into this match. But, I mean, look, the squad was then Leno, Cedric, Luis, Gabriel, Kolasinac, Pepe, Thomas, Elneny, and Saka, and then up front and Ketian, like I said. But I think during the course of that, that especially the first half, we were going at times from a 3-4-3 three, three to like a 4-3-3 three, three even at times. And then even for a few little spells you had, like it was like a 4-4-2 four, four, they were trying as well. So, you know, everything was, you know, they were tinkering and trying everything. But for me, first part of the match, I don't know how you saw it or our listeners saw it, but for me it was like the first, uh, it was like de- a deja vu of the City game because, again, you're playing a team. Um, look, with all due respect to the Austrian you know, the Austrian Bundesliga, I was really expecting us to, you know, literally swarm them from the first whistle, but we seem to be, again, knocking the ball around too much, not playing a more direct brand of football. I mean, Thomas Party was trying in the first half to get us just moving forward. Elneny was also trying, but every time people like Saka were getting the ball and bursting forward or uh, Pepe, or they, they would always stop, check back, and then the ball gets played through the middle. And I'm thinking, are doing every time that oh, that team uh, uh, rapidly are just dropping them, they mean behind the ball. Yeah. And I mean, what 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 really surprised me was the sort of tempo that rapidly you know, were going on the break when they were hitting us on the counter. Uh, I mean, they we had like blistering pace down the flanks and down the middle. Yeah, I, I just feel that um, uh, the three four three formation it works sometimes, but you can't be stuck to it. I think. We should rather go 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 to get the best of the likes of everybody in the team. I don't know. Um, we need to get like Tony Adams said one thing as well. You know, to win, to win things, you can win your knockout competitions with three at the back. But to win things, you need to, you know, get your back four sorted. But like, well, play with the back four. But it's like a midfield. There's no linkage between attack and midfield. And I just, I just think that with having Thomas Partey and Alneni. If you add maybe somebody with him in front who can, you know, roam with him and link up between the forwards and him, we would have maybe seen a bit more board attack. And you would have thought Arsenal coming against um, against Vienna would have would have come out there and actually, you know, show us that Sunday was a blip or Saturday was a kind of like you say, blow blow them away and like you know put the fans at ease and give us confidence. And I think this is where, like, since you're not talking about that uh, partner linkage in midfield, and I think this is where um, this, this player caught my eye in the last international break, um, Eduardo Camavinga of Rennes. 
and I mean, I look at him and he's like 17 and, and it's almost like what, what people also said about, say something like Vieira. I'm not looking, I don't know, I just said, or direct comparison to that. But it's like you're watching almost like a, a way thinner, way more mobile player than, say, Thomas Partey. Look, no no disrespect. I mean, everybody knows Thomas Partey is like a beast. I mean, he can run forever and he's also strong in the tackle. But when you look at at, 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 at times, it's not like you, you don't know to put too much weight on him also where he must not get us out of the muddle. Whereas I'm thinking when I look at, at this Kamavinga guy, he looks like somebody that, and I mean, look, he's like, what, 17? But And, and, and um, transfer fees or at least something like 31 million for him. So I mean, you can only imagine what it's going to be like next season. And I mean, he's, he adds on like the driving force to France. He adds the driving force to Rennes as well. And I'm just thinking, you know, that is a sort of, uh, you know, we were, as we now start developing and, and, and develop, yeah, promoting this, this sort of squad or, or Arteta project, I think that's a sort of, you know, that real robust, raw midfielders in the heart of the, 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 the field. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you can't put too much pressure on party as well because yeah. you'll only be able to get you so far. After that, I think, you know, if he picks up an injury, you know, then you're going to look to. So you need those kind of two generals that, you know, if one picks up an injury, you have someone else that's going to control the midfield. But I think, like you mentioned, the first half, Alneni was doing reasonably well. Um, Partey was doing his part. I mean, he made that one vital interception, a few vital interceptions. And then you look at um, also um, Gabriel. What a player so far. I just, you just can't do any wrong in my eyes at the moment. I mean, what I'm really enjoying, I was telling one of my friends on Facebook the other day, or uh, last night, sorry. Um, what I'm really enjoying about him is like the way he times himself when he does that sliding tackles. You can actually see he knows when he must throw himself to the ground and, and you know, when he slides the play and, you know, balling all out of the touchline or sliding in and dispossessing and on his feet again and, you know, starting the move already through the midfield. I mean, like you said, a very toothless first off and, you know, somebody probably could have may, um, gone to sleep and wake up and realise they didn't miss anything. And I mean, it was just that one chance, I think, of, of David Louise where... Yeah, then this goal bound shot. I think it was like what? Yes, 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 yes. That ended up having to be pushed away because I think it was goal bound anyway. And I also think first off, especially the ref really lost control of the game because I mean, he no, was, he was bad. Parts like confetti and <laughs> the majority of the stuff. Either if it's for 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 rapid Vienna, I, I wouldn't have given this cards like it freely let the game flow because it adds to the bite, the spark of of a European night as well. And it was quite tough with the fans being there as well. I think it must have been a new atmosphere for the Arsenal guys as well, playing with front of fans. And, you know, they, their fans never held back at all. So, it was a bit of an intimidating atmosphere. And I think, you know, Arteta probably gave them a good word at half-time because, I mean, it was... They needed to pick things up. I mean, we also then came out, you know, flying. Leno then gets him stuck. <laughs> it's too cocky in the 51st minute. Tries to play himself with an eye of the needle type pass, which is, I mean, for me, suicidal when you got, I think, about two or three players closing in on you. Uh, Erkan Kara ends up sticking his uh, boot out, which, of course, uh, deflects the ball into the path of Fortunas. And, I mean, the Greek international fired home instinctively, like you would see, from, of any top forward. He really was impressive for me. He's kind of a, you know, as a Jamie Vardy-ish, ah, ah, doing with a... 
So I was really impressed with them. I'm thinking, you know, if if if, if Arsenal maybe need a, another attacker, you know, maybe not someone that you can say, you know, who's going to take us to the next echelon, but just that guy that can do the business, whether you can play him anywhere up front, that would be a decent probably signing to, to add to the club. One minute you see him running on the touchline. <laughs> Look again, he's sprinting down the middle of the, the penalty box, going into, the, you know, running at goal. So, I mean, he's like a real jack-in-the-box, you know, you can't really... Pin him down, and I mean, I don't know how many times Arsenal guys have to either, uh, you know, bundle him off the ball or, or foul him. Yeah, he seems to really give us problems. And then at one down, you're looking and you're thinking, oh, my word, what, what's happening? I, 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 and like in Kitia, I mean, for me, the, he never had his best game. I mean, it just seems like, you know, you can't ask, depend on Kitia to kind of lead the line or to. Or to, you know, I don't know. He needs, I think he needs to play in a 4-4-2 formation. He needs that striker to play off. But I mean, what, you know, what is his strength? Because <laughs> he can't hold the ball up. He can't really out-sprint people. Because, I mean, as I said, <laughs> James Molnar was outpacing him. So, I mean, besides just finishing in the six-yard box, what else does he offer to the team? Because, honestly, I mean, I'm perplexed about what he actually does and... and then I would rather than say spear, you know, Lacazette or um, Aubameyang, and then use somebody else like you know get Reese Nelson in as a winger. Because yes, he's not going to bring you creativity, and Ketia's not going to bring you creativity on on no. either. So the, uh, back to the game, 59th minute, Leno then of course clears the ball straight to four uh, for two minutes again, and I think if he was a bit calm, I think he could have probably kind of buried Arsenal at that point because. He kind of snaps at the, the ball and, and um, Leno manages to, you know, just parry the ball away from goal. But, I mean, again, warning upon warning signs for, for Arsenal. Yeah, it, it was really warning that, that that was continuously happening with Leno. And I'm like, just stop playing the ball at the back. Like you also mentioned in a, in a message to me last night, just just play old school goalkeepers and put the ball. But it's like, I know Atetis told them that they need to, you know, play this way out the back, but there's a time and a place for everything. You wandle down with the pressure on you, kick the ball out, get the tempo away. And it's like we weren't learning our lesson and we were lucky that they never capitalized and Lena made the save to 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 still keep us in the game. And then, you know, Bellerin then came on for Cedric, Aubameyang came on for, for Nketiah. Uh finally the you know, Arsenal get themselves back into the game in the 70th minute. Pepe floats a ball, actually one of his best balls of the evening. Ends up floating the box, and I think the keeper comes and kind of... Yeah. He comes out flying to punch the ball. Of course, he misses it, and the ball perfectly lands on, on Luis's head, who glances into an empty net. 1-1. One, one. Uh, you could see after that, you know, that woke Arsenal up, and suddenly they were playing a much quicker game. And I think Thomas Partey started taking the game with a scruff of the neck, and you could see the what. But wasn't it between that where we the, where Partey starts dictating the game? Yes. Goal where Leno ends up smashing the ball against David Luiz. Yeah. The ball ends up, I think, spilling to Fortuna again, and he just balloons the ball over the bar. Yeah. Uh, I, I I actually I forgot about that. You actually uh, scarred me now with that because Leno was every time he came to the pool, I started having heart palpitations. You know, at one point, I mean, you can hear everything now. You know, with the touchline. When uh, after that, it was almost like a kind of wake up call, even for Arteta, because 
when Leno I think wanted to go again for a short goal kick, you could actually hear Arteta shout, no, long. And then afterwards, you just saw our centre-backs are running towards the halfway line. So you could see that it was almost like out of the question. There's any more of yeah. stuff. But yeah, Thomas Party, you know, started pulling strings in the midfield. And I think, even on any, weirdly enough for me, and you know, it's only one game, but they seem to have struck this kind of balancing partnership with each other, which, you know, you, you wouldn't have, I would never have expected that, like, between the two of them, too. You know, they saw, like, gave us a good solidarity in the midfield. And on any, had that burst forward as well. They both did really, really well. And I'm a 24th minute battle, and it seems a fantastic through ball from El Nini. For me, actually, pass of the evening. Uh, the Spaniard then squares the ball to, uh, I think it was, uh, squares the ball, beats the keeper, and I mean, it was almost like a simple tap in for Aubameyang, 2 1 Arsenal. Yeah, that that uh, was a bit of a relief, you know, to 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 make it two one Arsenal because oh, I I watched it. I really thought we were gonna throw throw the points away in this game. Yeah, so eighty fourth minute Arsenal then make a uh, double substitution. Uh, Wallach on for Tierney. Uh, I'm sorry, Wallach and Tierney on for Lacazette and Saka. I mean, Lacazette was again a bit upset that he was sub. <laughs> I mean, how many more chances do you want? I mean, you get the chance not to, to lead the line. But I mean, everything is either scuffed or uh, <laughs> And I think there was also one opportunity. I don't know if it was the last of Yes. Where Arsenal break. And I think if the ball is... Oh, yeah. When Lacazette could have had the chance to just play the ball in for Aubameyang, would probably probably had the easy finish. He ends up trying to twist and turn and ends up just twisting himself into trouble, which... I think kind of pissed, probably pissed off at it and got that substitution plans to go through even faster the paperwork. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, he's a, he's a, I can't, you know, you can't pinpoint him as a, a forward one moment. He's on a, like a firing streak the next, you know, he can't hit a bond or it's, it's never in between. He's either firing all cylinders or, you know, he's, 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 he's battling to, to possible even. Yeah, so I mean, Arsenal saw through then to the end of the game. I mean, played quite clever the last, especially the last five minutes where they were just trying to keep position. And I mean, you could even hear Arteta also just shouting to them, like, you know, hold on to the ball and, or, you know, get the ball just into their corners every time. So, I mean, well done for the second half. But I mean, as I said, first half was kind of a nightmare. They came back strong second half. And as you said, Thomas Party was probably man of the match performance because... I mean, look, I've never seen him now play. Look, I, I sometimes watch, say, La Liga, and it, but I never really took note of him. And then you started mentioning him to me, and then I started now, like, really zoning in on him. And to see now he's strength, that ball control, the, the, also that when people trying to dispossess him, they're almost like off bouncing off him. And <laughs> like his skills, he's like just, you're expecting a, a hard, uh, you know, drive pass, and he's just like gently, almost like not making you or just shifting the ball pass, and he's off again. He's very composed as well. I think that's Arsenal in the midfield composed, and I think he will he will play into the strengths. You know whether Arsenal decide to go with a three in the midfield. You know with another maybe Al Neni or Jaka next to him with Sebayos in front of them or William in front of them. I think he gives the other two maybe an assurance that you know there is someone there, and I, th- I just hope that Arteta you know utilizes him correctly and you know plays to our strengths now and not just sticking to that 3-4-3 three, three all the time. Yeah, so now I switch our attention to the match on Sunday. Arsenal versus Leicester City. Uh, Leicester and Brendan Rodgers are really having a thorough time with injuries. Um, 
uh, look, they are think racing also against time to get Jamie Vardy at least for, for the, the, the match on Sunday. But, I mean, the guys that are already guaranteed out is Soyan Chu in defence, Amati in midfield, Ndidi in midfield, and Pereira's out probably till 2021. I think that is... You know, a real core of the key players that, that are going to be out. And I mean, Arsenal still have, of course, the usual suspects out. Callum Chambers, Martinelli, Pablo Marie, and uh, Rob Holding, of course, that we know now out for months. But that being said, Callum Chambers, I think, is already doing match training already. He's already with the uh, majority of the squad. I think Martinelli is only going to probably come back about November. Pablo Marie has also been now seen running, sprinting, and playing um, these little training games. And then I think the biggest doubts for the Sunday game was again um, Sebayos and William. And I, I believe uh, Mustafa is also back in contention for a defensive slot. So we'll see how that's going to play out now coming, you know, coming the weekend. And then, of course, the fourth place Arsenal against fourth place Leicester. I think it's on goal difference, only eight of us since it's both are on nine points. And I just think, you know, Rodgers would love to throw, you know, the kitchen sink at us. But also, I think you will also be very cautious to the fact that. They've got, you know, you don't want to send Lisa out like sacrificial names for Arsenal to, you know, pick apart. And I, and I just think, or oh, my take is like with this, with this game, Arteta would really, um, should really just, you know, unshackle this team and let them play their game. Yes, I also think so. We're playing at home. We have opportunity now against Leicester. You know, they'll become, they'll come a time where Leicester will get their team fully fit and have a go at other teams. So, you know, you need to take your opportunities when they come your way. Just like we missed it against Man City, I think it's time to take it against um, your your Leicester and, and try to be a more attacking team. I don't know who Arteta is going to play in the front line. We'll probably know Aubameyang will be there. But I wonder how it... And like you said, Williams probably he said he's in, out for the game, possibly. And then you, have, you could have Pepe playing again because... I think he's a cyst, probably you could have won him uh, another start. So, yeah, we switch our attention now to the Europa League game then on next Thursday. Arsenal versus the Irish champions, Dando. Uh, you know, they will visit another match, the Emirates on match too. And I think it's also now also a big challenge for them because they had to also just to get into the Europa League, they had to go through a lot of qualifying rounds. Um, then, of course, Look at the, we don't of course know that much of them, but what stats you know reading up on them? They are now the most, I think they won the most titles in the Irish Premier League. I think they were something like ten. So that's also quite a young, you know, almost like the early years of the Premier League. So they're also quite young in this league. So but I mean, I, I think Arsenal should have enough, especially being a, a game at home, you know, to blow them away. Um, their biggest attacking threat is of course the striker called uh, Patrick Hoban. Who's already got like something nine goals in twelve games? Yeah, I don't know much about this team, so I, I I do think that Arsenal should should do the business against them. But the one tricky thing I think is it's now that the fact that there's so many European ties after each other in between the the Premier League games. So you're going to see probably teams gonna to have to rotate and let's just hope that the Arsenal team that comes out on Thursday will be able to do the job and they're not going to need more subs to to bail out the the you know the, the starting eleven again because we also have a big like we will touch on it when the time comes again at uh, Old Trafford. So we, we just let us hope that we can get the business done. And... Yeah, you know, jump between games now you know just on a on a play. But you know every time when I watch 
um, Joe Willock getting an opportunity to play. <laughs> Please use this opportunity to get yourself somewhere, even if it's a bench spot or, you know, get close to getting a, a starting berth in the squad. But, it, I mean, I watched him last night and it's like he comes on and he's running again, blind alleys and, I don't know, like trying extra tricks and whatever. And I'm thinking, just play a natural game. And, I mean, you can probably impress because if you think that, that especially the, the early 2020, he was playing quite well. Like, he was getting almost like roles in, in, in on the weekends. He was getting roles even in midweek games. But now it's like after the lockdown, it's like he's, he's just or he just can't get into the full full swing of things again. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with him. But it's just like you know, I think the seems to probably like him yeah. and wants to see him thrive. But I mean, he's not taking his opportunity with both hands. So with other people knocking on the door and you know the reinforcements that came in, he could see himself possibly you know having to find I want to say another club, but maybe go out on loan and you know start to increase his confidence because like I I didn't even realize when he came on that he was on the field at the end of the game. Yeah. So we switch our attention our finally as we wind down the podcast to talking points. Um again this whole Urzel Arteta thing is still bubbling and, and I think it's also kinda you know boring fans as well. Because I mean look I I will not bring it up today, but I mean I don't I think after this we also draw a kind of closure to it until Something fresh comes, like say in January, and we find out maybe something different. But as I wanted to say, Urzel ends up writing the sort of letter regarding almost like Arsenal's, <coughs> excuse me, lack of loyalty. But I mean, you know, that aside, I mean, look, uh, there were this whole issue thing with China and 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 Urzel and and look, the China also do the whole marketing of, of Arsenal clothing, and so that could have also been like kind of a sticking point, but. You know, that's that aside, like the politics politics part aside. I just think football wise, time has just passed him by at, at Arsenal because uh, for Ozil. Because I just think um, remember what we always used to say, sometimes you can never have a, a luxury play on board and the rest of the team will carry him over the line. Now we have a sort of a coach that has a sort of game plan and a tactic that everybody has to count like, you know, make himself count. I mean, you can't play if, you know, if you're already playing a, a sort of high-press game or you're kind of on the ropes, you need everybody to be accounted for. And if you can have one person just drifting off, and I mean, how many times haven't we seen teams hit us with quick counters and you, when the camera pans on Urzel, he's just trotting along and that <laughs> happened with even other players as well. I'm not going to just gonna try to pin, him, pin it on him, but it was the same problem. You had the same thing with Xhaka as well, where we would get caught out and he's too slow to catch catch up or whatever. And now at least when he kind of senses the danger, he will sometimes maybe start his runway early to track back. And that you just don't see coming seven from Urzo. Yeah, I saw a lot of fans, you know, outraged like with that. And also with on on the weekend's game against Man City, saying how we missed Urzo and how we could have used a person like Urzo. But then I saw another person's tweet saying, you know, you, we all say we missed Urzo and he would have made a difference. but how many games in the past against these top side six? I mean, the past against the top six sides has Urzel played, and what is the outcome? So it's not like it would have made a, a massive difference if he had played because he doesn't seem to like to roll up his sleeves. But it just seems it's also time to make Arsenal seem quite bad. You know, everybody that's 
you know, you, I had a friend of mine who's a United fan as well. He read Ozil's farewell message. He said, like, you know, Ozil really loves the club and it's sad to see what's happening. Mm, nah, but I mean, for me, it's more everything is PR-driven, really, if you think of it. Because the same with the stunt with the Akanosaurus and that. It was almost like to make, you know, Arsenal look bad. I mean, I, I get these, like, you know, I, I get from both sides of the... The sort of you know the sort of mind war or war games that they're playing or trying to one up each other every time. But I mean, as I said, I'm an Arsenal f- a fan first and foremost. And you know, if the coach like Arteta, the manager, and I see that Özil is not part of his plans, I fully support that idea. Do you and, think Özil could ever get black back? You know, do you think there's a way that if Özil adjusted his game, he he could fit back in the team, or do you just think he's too stubborn to want to? No, I mean I look. He's also at the age where, you know, you can't really just force him not to, you know, you're going to have to play this way. He's just not that sort of player. He needs, like, you know, a couple of grinders behind him that are going to do the, the you know, the, the dirty work. You know, but I think we have that now, don't you think, with, with Partey coming in and you could throw El Nene or Shaka, there you have possibly two guys that's two muscle men behind him that could tell him, like he always, you always said he, he's like almost like two protectors of bodyguards behind him. Something which he could probably get with with those two behind him. No, but I mean, I just think personally, you need somebody with more heart. Even like, look, uh, uh, if I can put it like this, say you look at someone like uh, Kevin De Bruyne, or you look at at um, who's now attacking for for Liverpool that plays no more attacking role in mid- central midfield. It's the sort of players like this that will literally roll the sleeves up and get down and dirty too for the, the cause of the team. And I just don't see Ozil doing that, you know, consistently. I mean, you may, look, you might have a, a sort of flash in the pan moment where he, he does something special. But from, from uh, you know yourself, you've seen it also yourself. How many times has he done that game after game after game after game? Because you need a sort of consistent, consistency to be also top player, and I just think <clears throat> his best years, he kind of not only left, I wouldn't say really left in Madrid, but he had a, almost like a purple patch at us at, at Arsenal for a, that, that. his first two, three seasons, I think. Yeah. And then afterwards, you just saw now everything, also when people started figuring him out that he's not going to run, you know, do any tracking and that, so it leaves the opponent with almost like an extra man to do something more damaging to us. Yeah, I don't know. I fully agree. I think it's a team sport and, yeah. you know, one guy doesn't make a team and shouldn't dictate things. And, you know, if you don't fit in the coach's plans, then, well, you mm-hmm. know, if everybody else did, I mean, Xhaka, Mustafi, the guys that we thought were out, they they played their way into the team and there was no reason why he couldn't do the same. So Yeah, exactly. And the final point I just wanted to make was... Um, I think yesterday or two days ago, uh, Dennis Burkham's son, Mitchell Burkham, uh, signed for Arsenal on a trial basis. Got like a, I think a, a short apprenticeship because they're now going to integrate him into the under twenty three side to see now if it's willing to now you know sign him up. So you know it could be also interesting days to maybe have a Burkham again somewhere at the club. Oh. No pressure, son. <laughs> Imagine having to fill your father's boots at, at Arsenal. I mean, Dennis Burkham, probably one of the best players I've seen. I mean, 
I've seen him growing up. I just wish I could see, I've seen him in an Arsenal kit, you know, watching him at the kind of pre good, you know, as a still teenager and a youngster growing up. So, yeah, all the best to him. I just have one thing I want to, you know, ask you. Do you think Arsenal should should go back to that 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or are you happy sticking with this 3-4-3? I think you actually answered your own question early on in the podcast where you said, um, you know, you you can use it with certain games, like when you you want to, especially like with what I think you said Tony Adams said about the cup games. But I think we we need to also come out of our shells now. Uh, Look, we already know. Arteta can, you know, kind of see things off. But I just think if he was more so adventurous against Liverpool, he was a bit more adventurous. I'm not saying gung-ho, just like it's a big, big difference. But I'm just saying, just be a bit more adventurous against Liverpool, be a bit more adventurous against Man City. I mean, who knows how it would have gone, even if it, we kind of nicked a point or something like that there. But I just think if you're going to set yourself up every time, people are going to figure that. I mean, Klopp already now figured out that formation now. For, especially now for the league uh, games when they play us. And Pepe has done it as well. So it's not like you'll rather take that, that deep on the chin in a cup game. But for the league, which is almost like the Holy Grail, that is where they now really do their homework. And I think this is where Arteta will also have to show his grit, you know, when we, you know, when we face them eventually again at, at the Emirates. Yeah, that is true. But you did say Arteta was the one coaching them in the cup competitions a lot of the time. So maybe old habits die hard. Yeah. And with that, we will end the podcast. Um, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the game against Leicester on Sunday. Take care, guys. Bye. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. And let's hope we get the three points. <laughs>